Welcome into the Mormon Hope Podcast. I'm Brandon Vaughn along with Dave Malinak. We're two Baptist pastors who live and pastor in the heart of Mormon country, Utah. And we love to use this podcast as a means by which to discuss and defend our Christian faith, as well as compare and contrast to the faith of our LDS neighbors and friends. And over the past couple of episodes, when we weren't talking about Hallmark movies, we were... <laughs> we, uh, you got a flannel shirt on again. I do, It's man. like your uniform. Look, it's the last day of my kids' school. It's snowing outside. I mean, we got... I think the past two days, we've got almost a foot of snow. Oh, yeah. In, it's in been great. It's, it's been great. It's been great. It's been gorgeous. But I just, I need to know where you put your scarf. <laughs> Look, you, you, you know what I'm... You scarf off. You know, normally, I probably wouldn't wear this, but I get up in the morning, I say, what would drive Dave Mountain crazy today? <laughs> yeah, I think I'll well, go with that. Well, if you had some worm wool and mittens with it, that would <laughs> they're in the, that they're, would definitely do it. They're in the car. They're the red the scarf would be, that would that would kill me right They're in the car. I've actually been thinking about suggesting to my kids that we watch a Hallmark movie. The problem is that my kids hate it as bad as I do. And so I know that if we started... It would just we wouldn't we wouldn't finish it. You know, it I've actually go well. I've actually been studying this very thing in one of my counseling classes, <laughs> and uh, according to Jeff Van Vondren, uh, he says one of the biggest problems in the Christian family is what he calls Christian peer pressure. <laughs> so you know, when they grow up and get on their own, they may. They may no, call you because they're they're just like me. They 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 have a spine. The guys have a spine. <laughs> uh, the girls have a sense that a man ought to be a man. You know that sort of thing. And so it's just they're ruined for it forever. Well, maybe they'll deconstruct one of these days. <laughs> yeah, but right. uh, we right. we've been doing a couple of uh, Christmas episodes, and we really wanted to look at uh, the incarnation from the perspective of all the different gospel writers. And we've done one on Luke. Uh, who looks at Jesus as the Son of Man. We've done one from the perspective of John, which, of course, is the Son of God. That's right. God incarnate, the Word made flesh. Yeah. Um, we just simply ran out of time, so we're not going to get in all four, but we're going to do Matthew today. And yeah. I'll just say this as, as if we had done Mark. I'll give you the cliff notes. But, uh, you know, some people may say, well, where in the world is the incarnation in the book of Mark? Because the book literally starts with the ministry of Jesus yeah. and doesn't say a word about his childhood. Well, that's really kind of the whole point. Mm-hmm. Because as we said, Mark looks at Jesus as a suffering servant, and who cares about the birth of a slave? Right. right. Uh, but I believe the angle I would have taken, and I'm sure you would have hit this as well, but uh, Mark is basically a fulfillment of many of the prophecies and themes in the book of Isaiah which Isaiah gives us the greatest mm. Old Testament prophecy on the mm-hmm. virgin birth, Isaiah seven fourteen. Right. Behold, I give you a sign, a virgin shall conceive. And there's, for whatever reason, been some controversy about that because they say, well, the the prophecy in Isaiah had to have relevance to King Ahaz at the time, right. so right. it couldn't have been talking about Jesus. But then you look in the Gospels, in the book of Matthew, we're going to see that today, and it very clearly says that it was a fulfillment of, of Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know That's what right. it meant to Ahaz. You know, a lot of the right. a lot of the prophecies in the Bible uh, have a short range meaning and a long range. Right, almost always. And we, we don't. We don't always get the short range, right? Because the short range is because not, we don't we don't live in that context. Yes. We can't see the context of it and what was happening. But Absolutely. clearly, there was a, in some way, in a way that Ahaz would recognize. Yes, there was a virgin that conceived. Um, not not that there was a. There's only been one virgin yes. birth. 
um, but somehow a virgin conceived and probably perhaps through marriage or something. I mean, I would assume that. Well, and we don't want, we don't know what it meant to Ahaz because God didn't think it was important enough to let us know. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is the long range fulfillment of that right. is the virgin Jesus. birth of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. But uh, we are going to look at Matthew today. Yeah. And uh, I just point out one other thing about Mark, and that is that idea in Philippians two that Jesus, when he humbled himself, he took upon him the form of a servant. Yes, and was made in the likeness of men. It's interesting now because that word "form" has to do with the demeanor of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's one of those things that there's an intangible sense when you get around a person. Say they're say that they're uh, from the wealthy class, rich, powerful family. They carry themselves a certain way. And the Lord Jesus, when he carried himself, and that's what was so hard for the religious leaders of that day to decipher with Jesus, was that when they looked at him, he had the demeanor of a servant. Yeah. He carried himself like one. And that's just not what they expected. That was not their vision of the Messiah at all. And so, but then here's this man with this demeanor of a servant and he's performing miracles that no man's ever seen. And he's yes. making claims that they don't know how to deal with. And their problem was with the optical illusion that he didn't look like a messiah. He didn't look messianic. He didn't look very kingly. And so then they rejected him outright because he couldn't be. Yes. And that kind of piggybacks into our thought on Matthew. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at the incarnation from Matthew's perspective, uh, he looks at Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. That's right. And now the word Messiah, it literally means the anointed one. Mm-hmm. And in the Old Testament, kings were anointed. I think mm-hmm. about uh, the prophet Samuel anointing both Saul and David. Right. And that's just a, a public ceremony where they would pour oil over their heads. and uh, it, Consecrate it was, Yeah, consecration, mm-hmm. yes. And so when we talk about Jesus as Messiah, what we're really saying is Jesus as king. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's so important. Yeah. And what I love about Matthew's gospel, in fact, this is really fresh on my mind because I actually preached this at my church last night. But um, when you look at Matthew's genealogy, it, it differs from Luke's. Mm-hmm. As we saw when we looked at the book of Luke, Luke's genealogy connects Jesus all the way back to Adam, right. connecting him to the entire human race and really painting him as the second or the last Adam. But with Matthew, it really makes an emphasis to point him out as being the son of David. That's right. Uh, Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, uh, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so right off the bat, if uh, there was a young Jew who was just wanting to read some forbidden literature, <laughs> if he started the New Testament in the book of Matthew, by the time he got through verse 1, he would realize this is a Jewish book. Yes. Yeah. And, and even in verse um, 16... Um, actually, I, I flipped to chapter 2 there. In verse 16 of chapter 1, it says it again, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Mm-hmm. And what this means is, um, which there's differing opinions, but I'm pretty sold on the idea to get your opinion on this, that uh, Luke's genealogy is actually Mary's, going right. through the line of Mary. That's what I believe. And 
in Matthew, it's following Joseph's. It makes the distinction yes. right there in that verse yes. you just read. Well, the confusing part is when you look at Luke's genealogy, mm-hmm. and it says Joseph, a son of Heli. Right. Well, you do a little research, you find out he was actually the son-in-law mm-hmm. of Heli. So it's Mary's mm-hmm. genealogy. Yeah. And Matthew's is Joseph's. But what this means is is that Jesus is the son of David, both by birth and by adoption. That's right. So, And, and the Jews would have understood this. Yeah. This is what they looked for in Messiah. Yeah. Was that he was a son of David on their mother on the mother's side and on the father's side both? Yes, and and, um, and this is actually this is so important. And this cannot be missed. This is a fulfillment of David's prophecy in Psalm one ten and verse one, mm-hmm. which is the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Is uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool? Yeah. And Jesus posed this question to the Pharisees in the temple. Mm. And he, he basically said, how can David call his son Lord? Mm-hmm. Right. They had no answer <laughs> because right. the answer is this is not just an earthly king. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Such Man, such great truth here, such great um, fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, but what I really want to focus on for just a little bit today is um, the wise men, mm. how they worship Jesus, what they did. And I believe when you read the narrative of the wise men, uh, we also, not only do we get a great picture of worship, uh, but I think that we get some of our traditions blown up when we read this narrative here. <laughs> and I mean, none of this to me is is something to get upset about. Right. You know, some people, I mean, I'm not making this up. I told my church this last night. I have a lot of Facebook friends that just send me, um, you know, friend requests that I've never met, but because of the podcast or because of my YouTube channel, whatever, they send me requests. And so this one person I didn't know actually saw one of my Christmas posts and told me I was going to hell <laughs> because I celebrate a pagan holiday. <laughs> and her greatest argument was the fact that we have not been commanded to oh, yeah. celebrate the yeah. birth of Christ, which let me just say this. If your greatest argument for something is from silence, <laughs> yeah, that's right. it's not a very good argument. Yeah, I was actually just in the book of Colossians la- last night, and uh, where Paul told the Colossians not to let anyone judge you in yeah. matters like that. Um, and in fact, I'm trying to turn to it really quick here and see if I can um, see if I can find it uh, to read it. But um, in in the observance of holy days and Sabbath days and uh, and so on. Yeah. Um, nope. Uh, yeah, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or the Sabbath days. That's Colossians 2, verse 16. Um, so I think that answers it right there. And I've seen plenty of people who get upset, you know, the the Christmas curmudgeons you know, out there who don't want to, don't want it, to, it doesn't make any sense to me because the world... Obviously, their re- response to Merry Christmas was for a while to silence it, to shut it down. Um, why do they want to shut it down if it's their holiday? Why would they want to shut that down? And if Christmas trees are pagan, then why is it that the old Soviet Union banned them for 40 or 50 years? Yeah. Like you go to prison for having a Christmas tree. And um, we're actually going to look at some of that today as we look at these wise men. Um, but yeah, I mean... If if worshiping the Lord and getting excited, celebrating the birth of Christ will send us to hell, mm. I guess the angels that the shepherds saw rejoicing 
right. the shepherds and the magi, the wise men, they're all going to hell, I guess, because they got pretty excited about <laughs> That's it. That's right. That's right. But um, And what we're celebrating is not, you know, Santa Claus and that sort of thing is what people get upset about. My my dad, when I was a kid, uh, he did a whole thing on Satan's claws. <laughs> and uh, he <clears throat> that at, for a time he was against that. And I, I understand that. Um, that's not for me that's not a big issue at all um either way i'm we have them around our house but we're that's but what we're celebrating is the incarnation of our lord jesus christ that he the word made flesh um that's that's the thing and and it is the opening play in the greatest act of god's grace in history absolutely how could we not celebrate this and by the way Without an incarnation, there can't be a crucifixion and resurrection. So That's right. I'm going to celebrate it. Yeah. And we celebrate it in material ways, feasting, um, gifts exchanged, and so on. Family. What people say material, materialistic. Um, people, people will protest it, that it's materialistic. But the truth is that what we're celebrating in material ways is the material birth of our Savior, that yes, he became absolutely. man, so he entered our material world, and so we symbolize it with these gifts. And I'm just such a an in-context guy. Mm-hmm. Like, biblical separation is not about isolation. It's about insulation. Right. And so when we do presents, when we celebrate Christmas, you know, we read the Christmas story, and I make sure that our kids know where these gifts come from, why we're celebrating, mm-hmm. what the greatest gift yeah. is. I mean, what a great opportunity. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to be a curmudgeon. I don't no. think God's pleased with that. No, it's not a fruit of the Spirit to be cranky. No, <laughs> not at all. But um, I just wanted to go through Matthew 2 and just some things that um, I've actually preached some of these thoughts for several years, but they've been a help to me, and I'm sure you can jump in here as well. Um But just reading these first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 2 about the wise men, um, let's just read through this one verse at a time, kind of like we did with Luke, and then you can jump in or I'll jump in. But Matthew 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And I'll I'll stop right there and say this. Um, and I actually had four points last night. And, and for the most part, I know this gets friend on sometimes, but I like alliteration. <laughs> so I used four S's last night, which nice. actually got me in trouble on Facebook the other day. We we had a lot of snow, and I, I posted a video and said, well, I guess I'm going to have to uh, shovel my way out. <laughs> Well, the the talk to text doesn't understand redneck, so I didn't realize it said shuffle. So my dear friend, Pastor Malinek, gets on there and says, uh, or, you know, some people would say shovel, but, you know, shuffle, that'll work too, you know. But but uh, the You first, probably shuffle when you shovel. I bet you. <laughs> yeah, I did. So it's not to fall. But um, uh, the first point um, that I used last night, talking about the, the worship from the wise men, it was mm-hmm. a sacrificial worship. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out that these wise men came from the East. And one of the, I believe one of the Christmas traditions that we get wrong, and once again, I'm not, I'm not upset about this because I don't see another way to do it. But a lot of times when you see a nativity scene, 
right. you'll see the shepherds and the wise, and men. The wise men together yeah. in the same place. That's not the way that it happened. Yeah. And, and the again, angels, too. The angel's yeah, a woman. Yeah. <laughs> With wings. <laughs> always a winged woman, and that's nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> but um, the reason that it didn't happen this way, we know this, is because the shepherds came that instant. And they mm-hmm. when they went to see Jesus, he was a babe in a manger. But by the time these wise men make the trip, you know, some scholars say it took weeks, some months. But but when they do get to him, by the time you get to verse 12 or verse 11, uh, they saw a young child in a house. Yeah. They had, you know, Jesus had grown a little bit. They had left the manger. And so they're in a different location. And so uh, it was a sacrificial thing. They They left their homes. They left their families. They travel for a long way, yeah. And um, and I'll say this too. Another thing I think we get messed up is is some people are just dogmatic about it being three wise men, right? Right. It never does give us a number. No. But I'm going to say, just throwing this out there, it was probably closer to three hundred than it was three, <laughs> because number one, it would have been dangerous to travel with a you know mm. just a few people that far. Mm. But also, if you look when they show up in Jerusalem at night. It says all of Jerusalem was troubled. Yeah. Three guys riding through the street at night, not going to do that. <laughs> but when you look out your window and see hundreds of men, what in the world is going on here? Yeah, yeah. Well, it could be. Someone suggested that it was six men, one for each end of the gift. <laughs> um, it's Yeah, it's an interesting speculation on that. Um, you know, I think we were supposed to well, – you kind of jumped around a little bit there and um, got a little uh, uh, sanguine on us, but uh, – but, uh, you know, we were going to go through verse by verse here somewhat. And so um, I think about Herod. It's interesting that the Bible sets it in contrast to another king who yes. was a false king. Yes. Um, he was a usurper, number one. He was not a Jewish king. He was an Idumean, an Edomite king. Um, he had used his um, craft to get to the throne. He was hated in Israel. And so... Uh, Matthew introduces the king of all kings Yes, in the context of the usurper king, Herod, who also was a very dangerous king. And the reason Jerusalem was troubled with him was for Jerusalem was troubled for a very different reason than Herod was troubled. Um, Their troubling, the the reason they were troubled had more to do with Herod's reputation. I think um, Caesar Augustus once said that um, it would be safer to be Herod's pig than his son. He sure did say that. Herod killed his own mother. Yeah. Because he was paranoid that she was going to try to take the throne from him, and he killed some of his other family members. He was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so can you imagine? Really, you actually beat me to point number three, so we just got to talk about it. So we talked about the sacrificial worship. And by the way, worship is always sacrificial. Absolutely. It is, there's no such thing as worship that's not sacrificial. Yep. You go back and look at the first time worship was used in the Bible, Genesis 22 and verse 5, when Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, he tells the servants, wait here mm-hmm. while I and the lad go yonder and worship. Mm-hmm. It's always tied to sacrifice. Uh, but to your point that you're making, and I call this a scandalous worship. Oh, yeah. You know, scandalous simply means a something that causes a public outcry or uh-huh. public resistance. Yeah. True worship is always going to be scandalous. Mm-hmm. And in this situation, they show up in Jerusalem to Herod and say, hey, where's the real king at? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, you know, they just did wonders yeah. for his yeah. ego. Well, and uh, I've heard people say, you know, Herod had nothing to be worried about because he was going to be a different kind of king. 
the truth is Herod had everything to worry about because this was going to be a different kind of king. And yes. Herod, there was a message being sent here to Herod right to his doorstep that there's a new king in town and your way of being king by trampling on the people in order to rise to the top is going to come to an end. And this is interesting too. what Isaiah said. Um, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end from this day to the ending of the world. So this, we have to remember this about our Lord Jesus Christ, that there is this progressive dominion uh, which he is achieving in our world. And we know this according to the promise of God, not according to circumstance. So we, we can't necessarily explain the circumstances here in our world, except to say that sometimes, you know, a really confident opponent will let you throw your best at him. And then when you're finished, then he throws the knockout punch. Yeah. And I think that that kind of thing is coming. Uh, for, for certain, we know that Isaiah was not lying when it said of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. No. Uh, so uh, Herod... And Jesus was coming to show Herod that your way of being king is about to end. And I'm going to show the world a new way of being a king. Uh, and, of course, Jesus, I, I, I always picture Jesus putting on the servant's apron and washing the feet of his disciples and telling them that this is the way. This is the way right here. Yes. Um, and so we... I mean, we see this scandalous aspect of Christmas, and, and, and it's still scandalous. I think uh, mm. Doug Wilson wrote a blog about this the other day, his blog and May blog. He was talking about, uh, I, I think the title of it was Christmas as Insurrection. Oh, uh, yeah. And isn't that so true? Yeah. I mean, there's places in the world, um, communist China, yeah. you know, different places. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be uh, openly celebrating any kind, because by default, you have to admit there's a greater authority than you. Right, right. And... When when you are walking around cheerily saying Merry Christmas instead of Bah Humbug, um, it, it is subversive to our world system, which insists on cranky crankiness, uh, insists on curmudgeonness. That's not even a word. It <laughs> can be today. Being curmudgeons, which insists on being sour, being sad, being unhappy. Uh, being victims, I mean, that's the that's the new hero status, your victimhood um, in our world. And then just being unhappy about everything and complaining about everything. And so here come Christians with a cheery, ha Merry Christmas, um, happy, rejoicing, lighting up their houses, giving gifts, celebrating, and it drives the world crazy. They just don't think there should be anything like this going on. Well, and I know in some of the abortion ministry that I've done, I've actually seen this at more than one place, whether it be, you know, some type of parade that maybe the local abortion clinic had a float in or, or whatever the case may be. I've actually seen a poster or heard somebody say that the world would be a lot better off if Mary had had an abortion. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. – but, I mean, they're, just, they're being but honest. That, Herod, Herod thought that's, so. That's right. He wanted to kill him. He was for infanticide. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I saw a guy wearing a T-shirt, one of these atheists, you know, um, 
things, whatever they do. And it said, if Jesus returns, let's kill him again. Yeah. Um, this is this is the way the world looks at it. They're unhappy. They're unhappy with themselves. The truth is that the one they want to kill the most is themselves. Ninety percent of the time. That's it. I mean, because their life is miserable and they're unhappy, and 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 that's why the the good news of the gospel is good news, because God entered our world, became one of us in order to save us. So he doesn't look at us as something to be discarded or thrown away. He looks at us as having value. But from the womb to the tomb, <laughs> the world tried to take him out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they from can't the do it. From the the tomb's still empty. So we got stuck. We need to keep reading. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Go ahead. Okay. Did you read verse 4? Um. No, that's where we left off. Okay. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. I want to hit the pause button right there. Okay. Because this was the second point I wanted to bring up. We've talked about the first and third. So you're not going in order. No. Well, you beat me to my point. See, oh. we're on the same wavelength. We looked at the wise men and their sacrificial worship, their scandalous worship. But in my alliteration, mm. uh, it was a scriptural worship. Uh-huh. And here you see a bouncing around of scripture here. This is so important because I find it interesting that the wise men went to Jerusalem looking for Jesus the King. Mm. And the the first question I asked my church last night is I said, how did they, you know, they said, we have seen a star in the east yeah. and have come to worship him. I said, how did they just look up in the sky and go, oh, there it is. There's the king's star right there. We're going to yeah. leave and travel hundreds of miles to see this king. What, what information did they base that off of? Yeah. Well, it goes back to a prophecy that Balaam made mm-hmm. in Numbers 24 That's and verse right. 17, which he happened to be in that part of the world right. when he made that prophecy. And even though... Even though the Jews had been entrusted with the scriptures, they they had passed this particular prophecy uh, down from generation to generation. Right. And when they saw that star, it must have been pretty incredible because they knew that had to be it. Yeah. And what I told our church, and I think this is so important, they didn't have all the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You see, they couldn't. You see, Herod got the scribes to look back in Micah mm-hmm. chapter five and verse two to find out. Oh, it's prophesied that. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. The, the wise men didn't know that. And, and the natural assumption would have been, well, the king will be born in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have all of the scripture, but they obeyed what they did have. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Yeah. I mean, obviously, God expects us and co- even commands us to study, to show ourselves approved, to learn the scriptures. But the thing is, I, I've talked to so many people through the years where you know, they, they were probably saved, but they just weren't that dedicated. They weren't all in. You mm-hmm. know, they were hit or miss at church. They didn't have a great devotion to Bible study or prayer. And they come to me, and they're like, well, I just don't don't feel like God's speaking to me. I don't <laughs> – I'm like, what are you doing? What he already told you to do? Right, right. Well, why, why, would, he get, why would he tell you more, you yeah, know? That's right. And so it's a, it's a scriptural worship, true worship. Uh, you know, God the Father said He's looking for those to worship Him in spirit That's and right. in truth. True worship. We, we can't we can't make up the rules of worship. Yeah, worship. Yeah. We worship on His terms. So here's another point on that, and what I find really amazing is that here are religious leaders, religious authorities in Israel who know the prophets and they know where Jesus will born be, be born, 
and they cannot get themselves to get up out of their chambers no. and walk the few miles to Bethlehem in order to see this newborn king. It's unthinkable. It is. It's amazing. And yet these magi, the wise men, the Greek word is magi, which means that probably they were astrologers, probably they were sorcerers, magicians yeah. is what that means. So probably they were those who were under the ban um, from the temple proper. They were not allowed. Oh, they were not allowed because they were Gentiles. We already know that. But then on top of that, they were not probably excommunicated because of uh, what they did with their lives, their, their magicians and so on. But they want to know where this babe is. They're seeking for him. And isn't this ironic to me that the book that celebrates the Jewish Messiah, the Gentiles are the ones that go to worship. Him. Right. That's right. That there's there's a message within yeah, that right too. away, right away. And so, um, you know, we see uh, just the um, incredible contrast between religious authorities who know but don't care. Yeah. And magi, wise men, who care but don't know. And in both the case of Matthew and in Luke, you're talking about the shepherds and the Gentile magi. Mm -hmm. Those would have been the worst of the worst in the eyes of the oh, Jewish yeah. elite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they want to know Jesus, and they come and worship him. And we can't really say to what extent what they knew even about worship. But he uh, he received their worship. God did not prevent that from happening, and they showed a heart that their um, contemporaries, Jewish contemporaries, did not show whatsoever. Shall we continue? Let's continue. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search diligently for the young child." And when he had found when he had found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense, and myrrh. I need to correct something from our previous episode, and that was that I suggested that perhaps the wise men showed up within the first week of Christ's um, birth. I don't believe that, that. and I went back, I was reviewing some things, and I saw better um, on that. We know that Mary went to Jerusalem, um, and it would have been after the 40 days that were required for her purification. Yes. And then she went to dedicate him in the temple. And then it was after that that sh they went to Egypt. Uh, so it would have had to have been somewhere around that 40-day mark. Yeah. And probably, well, clearly they're still in a house in Bethlehem. So they've stayed there for that time when they have to because she she can't go anywhere until she's gone through that 40-day purification. Um, with that. So so anyway, that's a, a correction. So at least after 40 days, probably right around that 40-day mark. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. Um, and I know that obviously we're probably going to talk about the gifts. Oh, yeah. There have been a lot of good things said about the gifts. Yeah. Uh, but before we even get there, I always like to point this out. 
from what verse 11 says, it looks like that Jesus is in Mary's lap here. Mm. And the wise men fall down, and the scriptures make it clear they're worshiping him, right? not her. That's right. If there was ever an opportunity that's right. for them to if, worship Mary, here it is, right. and they didn't that's do it. Right. We should say something about the star, too, because yeah. the star, you know, it's been pointed out, and uh, rightly so, that it's impossible that that star was just up in the sky like stars are, where stars are, um, because... No matter how many times, how many formula you run through on your calculator, and no matter how good you are with the Pythagorean theorem, <laughs> it would be impossible to gauge what, what house a star is standing over. Yes. So somehow that star entered into our atmosphere, um, and it's it's hard to think about that. We know what stars are made of. We know that they are giant um, gas they're gas giants. They're um, big flaming balls of gas. And we know that they're hugely large. I mean, the smallest star is many times larger than our Earth. Oh, yeah. So for a star to, I mean, even for a comet to enter our galaxy can be a dangerous thing. Or into our, not a galaxy, into our atmosphere can be a dangerous thing. But um we're not talking about what a star is made of. We're talking about what a star is. And that's what we don't know. We don't know what a star is, but somehow this star entered into our world and stood over the house. And I, that's another thing that floors me. You've got the angels appearing to the shepherds in the hillside um, there, Bethlehem. That had to have been a majestic sight and it had there's no way you could ignore that but then a star comes and stands over a house and i believe it's literally standing over the house i think i mean otherwise they wouldn't have known which house they might have known what neighborhood but they knew which house well i think that uh in recent years there's been an attempt to kind of naturalize and explain it, some yeah. of these unexplainable things mm-hmm and at the end of the day, although we don't know everything, what we do know is it was supernatural and miraculous. And it was so amazing that it encouraged the wise men to leave their homes mm. and go find this king. Yeah. So it right. wasn't just an ordinary. This was not an ordinary event. No. And and so here are, you know, the wise men asked their question and uh, the star stands over the house and still nobody knows. Nobody cares to go and see except shepherds and wise men. They're the ones who care to go see. It's so unbelievable that all Jerusalem, all of Israel, yeah, even Bethlehem would just yawn yeah. at such a thing. Yes. Uh, they had to know that this was an extraordinary thing. The world as a whole is still yawning, by they, the way. They are. They are. Men love darkness rather than light. They won't be for long, evil. though. That's right. That's right. So then, of course, we come to... Um, the warning um, and being warned in it, of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod shall see, will seek to seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel warning, weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. <clears throat> so another part of the Christmas story that gets neglected is that. To recognize that the first Christmas was not a Hallmark movie from end no, to beginning. not even close. It was a time of great grief and tragedy for the city of Bethlehem um, and what they suffered and the Roman soldiers there. And, um, and, and again, manger scenes never depict that part of the story. Uh, but th- but there should be some recognition here that on the night that Christ was born and in the time immediately after, Israel suffered a tragic, tragic thing at the hands of King Herod, um, a wicked, wicked king. Isn't it amazing and telling that both Christ's entrance into the world and his death out of the world, I mean, it's just everything's just wrapped in death. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and it just shows the depravity of humankind that the reaction to god coming to the earth would be yeah you have kill, a, a kill despotic the king acting like a despot yeah um, so we should go back then to the um genealogy of christ and point out one more thing and maybe we could end with this okay uh, here there are four ladies yes they're named in this um genealogy of jesus which christ. is really important in matthew's account the first of those ladies um, is named in verse 5. I'm sorry, nope, nope, in verse 3. And Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar. And Pharaoh begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. That story, the story of Judah, is one of the, uh, you talk about scandalous. Yeah. A scandalous story in the Bible. Genesis 38. Yeah. So, uh, Judah had two sons, um, and those two sons, Pharaoh and Zerah. Um, no, I'm sorry. He had Onan and Ur. I think yeah, it was that's right. Ur and Onan, um, wicked sons. And the oldest son that married Tamar originally um, was such a wicked man that God struck him dead. And so, according to the Leverite law. Um, Tamar was to be given to the brother who was to raise up seed to his de- dead brother. But that brother committed a great fraud against um, Tamar in that he sought to enjoy her intimately yes. um, without leaving seed to his brother who he saw as very wicked. Well, he would have had to split the inheritance, and yeah. there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. But uh, he, he didn't want to fulfill what was required of him. So God killed him. Yeah. So there are two two sons down. Um, two dead husbands, and uh, Judah offered, or he pr- pledged his youngest son, but he did not intend to keep that pledge. Yeah. And so when he came of age and Tamar saw that he was of age, um, she n- recognized that Judah was not going to keep his promise. And so she, knowing the kind of man that Judah was, 
now dressed like a whore yeah. and waited outside the city gates for Judah to come along. Judah hired her. Um, and, I, you know, we're not real certain how the, culturally how all that worked, but he didn't recognize her. And uh, she conceived um, by her father-in-law, which, yeah. in other words, is a case of incest. And um, when she was found to be with child, Judah, of course, being the, the typical man that he was, um, ignored his own sin and demanded her death. And uh, she quickly showed him, demonstrated that he was the father. He changed his mind pretty quickly then, he did, did he? He did. So then, um, so the Bible says in that verse, Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar, um, and then goes right into the children of Tamar. So this Tamar, the first woman, is a woman who conceived by means of incest. And uh, the story goes on. I mean, it's um, really a horrible <laughs> story it in is, that time. I'm horrible. laughing um, only not laughing at the wickedness of it, um, but more just how much there was involved in it. I mean, it goes to um, Achan. Achan was the son uh, of the um, the of Zerah, who had the um, inheritance. And Achan and all of his household was destroyed because Achan stole at uh, the city of Jericho. And so there... The scarlet thread, if you will, because when Pharaoh and Zerah were born, Zerah stuck his hand out first or foot, and uh, the midwife tied a um, red, a scarlet cord to it. And so then um, the other one, Pharaoh, was born. And uh, so then um, Achan was destroyed at Jericho, but the scarlet thread passed to the lineage of Pharaoh, the other brother. And interestingly enough, um, the son of or grandson of Pharaoh married a woman, and the Bible says this in verse five. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab. I'm sorry, I I got ahead of myself here. Um, yeah, that that's right. Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab. So um, Salmon was grandson of Pharaoh's, and he married Rahab the harlot. So there's a second harlot in the story. And yeah. Rahab is the one who tied the scarlet cord outside her window yes. and helped the spies, which the Bible says she did by faith in Hebrews 11, um, and essentially lied to the um, magistrates in Jericho um, so that she could conceal these um, these spies. And... God rewarded her, and she had a famous son named Boaz. Yeah. And Boaz, the next verse says, well, that verse, Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Uh, Ruth was a Moabitess. Um, no Moabite was allowed access to the temple yep. um, whatsoever. Um, and the Moabites were conceived out of uh, incest as well when Lot... And his two daughters escaped from um, Sodom. Uh, they, um, sorry, when they escaped from Sodom, uh, they, the daughters recognized that there was no man for them. And so they uh, intoxicated Lot and conceived through incest with him. And the two sons were Moab and Ammon. And so Ruth is from that household, the household of incest. 
And uh, then we come to the next verse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah, a woman who played the whore, a woman who cheated on her husband with David, and through an adulterous relationship, um, brought in a child into the world. That child died, but then later they conceived Solomon through that. So the four women, all of them fallen women. Yes. And so there's this recognition here that what Jesus came to do in our world was to redeem the fallen, those who are fallen, fallen women especially. Yeah. I say that, you know, this is the Mormon Hope podcast, and we've been pretty nice um, throughout this whole podcast and not said much about our LDS neighbors. But um, we had a lady one time that visited our church, and I just happened to be preaching that Sunday um, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, um, that it, that they that behold need not the physician, but they that are sick. And so Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And of course, among our LDS neighbors, there's a great deal of emphasis on worthiness, on being righteous, being, you know, choose the right, that sort of thing. But after I was finished preaching that message that Jesus came to save sinners, the lady came to me and she was crying and she said um, that I was told by my bishop that I can never achieve the celestial kingdom because I had a child out of wedlock. Wow. And she said, um, I can never be worthy that way. And, um, you know, whether she was, I, I've had LDS dispute that claim, but nonetheless, there is this sense among many in the LDS church that you don't dare admit to, or you don't dare fall into sin because you will be cast out. And let me just say that any religion that is not effective to redeem the lives of the fallen is not God's religion, it is not pure religion, it is not a religion of the Bible at all. No. Because the Bible is very clear that our Lord Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you found your own way, you're not looking for someone to save you. And one thing I love, and somebody had pointed this out, but, uh, you know, in the book of Joshua, when you see the story of Rahab the harlot, over and over and over, she's called Rahab the harlot, the harlot, the harlot. When you when you get in the bloodline of Jesus here, the, the genealogy of Jesus is just Rahab. It's forgotten. Yeah. That's right. It's under the blood. Isn't that wonderful? It is. It is. It's a great truth. And it is a great picture. Christ came to redeem that which was fallen. Mm-hmm. And that's why he came. And, and nobody is outside of the reach of the saving grace of God. That's right. If they would just repent and trust the finished work of Jesus Christ, that at this time of the year we we just take some time out to remember and celebrate the first part of that. That's the right. fact that God came to this earth as the God man, as the Messiah, as the King. Yeah. Uh, I know you know, we, we like to focus on the reign of Christ on the earth, the coming kingdom, but don't ever forget the fact that he's reigning right now. That's right. That's right. The kingdom of God is an already and not yet type That's of thing. Right. And so Think about the contrast in Matthew between Herod the king and Jesus. Yes. Because Jesus is coming along and showing his desire to save, to redeem those who are sinful and fallen, while Herod seeks to kill and destroy those who are innocent. Yeah. 
Um, it's a wonderful contrast. And again, the difference between the way the rulers of this world, the kings of this world, have typically reigned and the way Jesus reigns. Absolutely. And he does reign. He does. And we pray that you know him. And so that's going to pretty much wrap it up, I think, uh, for our Christmas specials. We'll get some new stuff out after the first of the year. We weren't going to sing a Christmas carol? That'd be a negative. (laughs) That'd be a negative. We want to have some listeners when we come back for the first of the year. Okay. (laughs) But uh, we'll be flying out to uh, Alabama, spend some time with family in uh, Alabama, Mississippi. Yeah. And uh, looking forward to that. But at the first year, we'll have some more stuff coming out. Yep. So this will be... It'll be great. We're almost uh, through year one of the More <laughs> Hope right. podcast. And I know our listeners are saying, oh my goodness, it's only been a year. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, criticisms, bah humbugs. Um, you can visit my church's website, gracebaptistlogan.org. My email address is Preacher of Grace. That's one word. Preacher of Grace at Yahoo.com and Pastor Malinak. My email address is pmalinak at gmail.com. That's P like Pastor Malinak, M A L L I N A K at gmail.com. Feel free to flood my inbox. And uh, we hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And until then, we love you. God bless. <laughs>